Chapter 18 of Juggernaut, A Veiled Record. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Roger Moline. Juggernaut, A Veiled Record by George Carey Eggleston and Dolores Marborg. Chapter 18 The next few years of Edgar Brain's life were years of strenuous, almost turbulent endeavor, but their details do not belong to this history. Their outline only concerns us. When the consolidation of the central road with the other lines north and south was effected, Brain had every reason to feel as he had on the day of his battle with Cale Dodge. In the one case, as in the other, he had won a passionately coveted victory. In the one case, as in the other, it was unsatisfying. He had felt almost a savage joy in the process of conquering Hildreth and his party, and teaching them to recognize him as the master, but when the conquest was over, it seemed a very little victory, after all, because the enemy was so contemptible. "'Hildreth has experience and cunning,' he said, "'but he has no masterful ability. As to the rest, thah, why should I care to match my brains against their poor headpieces? One little loving thought of Helen's is worth more than a thousand such victories.' Brain valued the wealth that was now securely his, not for any vulgar love of wealth, such as men are apt to feel who have grown up in poverty and wrought out riches for themselves, but for the liberty it secured to him to prosecute his other purposes unhampered by any breadwinning necessity. He had enough money now, in possession and in certain prospect, to satisfy his desires in that direction, and if he afterward engaged in great financial undertakings, as he did, it was as the athlete expends his strength, not for the results, but for the joy of the exercise. Brain's mind found pleasure in forming and directing difficult schemes, and his self-love was gratified by the recognition of himself as the master mind among the strong men of finance with whom he allied himself in these schemes. There was another reason for his continued activity in affairs. He saw in such activity vast opportunities to impress himself upon a rapidly developing country, and thus to forward his political ambition, which boldly grasped at the highest things, just as in finance he never suffered the magnitude or difficulty of any undertakings to appall him. "'We shall keep the cottage for our residence, dear,' he said to Helen a few months after the events already related. But we must live mainly in New York now. My business enterprises require it. You shall have such quarters as you want there, but I should like to keep the cottage just as it is, with a servant always in charge. It will be pleasant for us now and then to come back here for a little rest and a little quiet love-making, will it not? And so it was arranged. Brain retained control of the enterprise, and even actively directed it wherever he might be. No matter how absorbingly engaged he might become in any of his great enterprises, he found time each day to communicate by telegraph with the newspaper office and by crisp, brief commands to determine the character of every issue. He still retained Thebes as his legal residence, 
and it was expected that he would represent the Thebes district in Congress, but to the surprise of everyone, he chose to have himself elected to the state legislature instead. There, his activity was ceaseless. He mastered every detail of information concerning the state so perfectly that he could, and often did, instruct members from distant quarters concerning affairs in their own districts about which their information was confidently inexact. He carefully avoided accepting the leadership of his party, which might have been his for the taking, and before the session was over he was said to have won the personal friendship of every man in the legislature. At the next election he declined to be a candidate and put up Mose Harbell instead. The nomination created general surprise at first, and a general laugh when surprise and incredulity had subsided. But Braine took care that his genial local editor should be elected. He made himself very active in the state general committee of his party also, though he was not a member of that body. He contributed largely to the campaign fund, and took great pains to keep himself well informed as to the state of the canvas in every district in which there was any chance of success for his party. Whenever news came that the chance was slender in any district, Brain opened a confidential correspondence, usually conducted by Mose Harbell, with the local political leader of that district, and it was almost uniformly the case that the prospect of success in the district rapidly improved from the moment Brain's attention was directed to it. The result of the election was a cause of general astonishment. The opposing party, which had long been in the ascendant, had carried the state ticket by about its customary majority, but the legislature elected held, for the first time in many years, a good working majority for Brain's party to the surprise of everybody in the state except Brain himself. He had expected precisely that result. Perhaps his anticipations had been stimulated by his carefully directed efforts to secure their fulfillment. The fact that a United States Senator was to be chosen by this legislature gave peculiar interest to the event. The senator whose place was to be filled had expected to be re-elected without opposition. He had made a secure bargain for re-election with the leaders of his party. But his party, being unexpectedly in the minority, was of course unable to fulfill the contract. The stir created by the unforeseen situation was very great. The several prominent men of the party were named one after another for the high place, and the newspapers, by their advocacy of local favorite sons, soon made the contest between them a very heated one. Brain wrote with extreme courtesy of each of them in his newspaper, favoring none in particular, but daily pointing out the necessity of uniting upon some man who could command the hearty approval of the entire party, and emphasizing the apparent impossibility of such a union in behalf of any of those who had been named. Mose Harbell held his peace, perhaps because he was equally impressed with the exceeding geniality of all the candidates. Brain pleaded strongly for harmony in the interest of the party, and particularly for the selection of some rising man of ability 
whose age had not deprived him of the energy necessary to make his ability felt at Washington. When the legislature assembled, it was found that an extraordinarily large number of the members on the majority side were not positively pledged to any candidate for the caucus nomination, beyond the first two or three ballots, and a careful canvas showed that on the first ballot at least six candidates would be voted for, no one of whom would receive more than one-fourth of the total vote. Mose Harbell, of course, knew all the genial men about him in the legislature, and all of them knew Mose, mainly as a joke. Mose entered the caucus, pledged, for the first two ballots, to the least likely candidate on the list. He made his first speech in advocacy of that candidate's election, emphasizing the geniality of the man, and telling some stories of his own particular manufacture in illustration of it. With three others, he voted for that man. The first ballot in the caucus showed six candidates voted for and no election. The second ballot showed six candidates voted for and no election. When the third ballot was ordered, Mose Harbell untwisted his long legs, removed his feet from the desk to the floor, and rose in his place to make a very brief speech. "'Mr. Chairman,' he said, "'it is evident that we cannot nominate any of the gentlemen for whom we have been voting. Why should we not nominate the man who best represents the intelligence and integrity of the party?' the man to whose earnest devotion in the late election the party owes its opportunity to elect a senator. I, for one, shall vote on this ballot for Edgar Brain. It will be observed that the style of this speech was wholly unlike the usual literary methods of Mose Harbell. Perhaps that was sufficiently accounted for by the fact that the slip of paper from which Mose had committed it to memory was in the handwriting of his master. The burst of applause that greeted the speech seemed to indicate that a large proportion of the members present shared Moses' views of the situation, and the third ballot showed three candidates voted for, with Edgar Brain's name leading, and within two of a majority. On the fourth ballot, Brain was nominated amid a roar of applause. It had all been done precisely as the editor of the Enterprise had planned that it should be done. That night Edgar incidentally mentioned to Helen that she was to be the wife of a United States Senator at the next session of Congress, and so would have only one more winter to pass in New York. End of chapter 18 Recording by Roger Moline